It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Your NBC Sports Radio update starts now. Top 25 college football in progress. Number four, LSU wrapping up a victory over Vanderbilt. The Tigers lead 66 to now 37 as there was an interception returned for a touchdown right now just by Vanderbilt. There's a minute 51 left in the game. This one in hand, though, LSU leads 66 to 37. Number six, Ohio State trailing early. It is 5-0 Miami of Ohio with an early lead over the Buckeyes. Number eight, Auburn leads number 17, Texas A&M, 7-0. The Aggies just missed a 31-yard field goal, so the Auburn Tigers take over up 7-0. Pitt with a 7-0 lead over number 15, UCF, with six minutes to go in the first quarter. Number 22, Washington leads BYU 7-3. SMU leads number 25, TCU 7-0, and they're looking for more as they have first and goal on the 8-yard line. Now uh, fourth and one, I should say, at the 9-yard line. Number two, Alabama defeated Southern Miss earlier, 49-7. Number nine, Florida with a 34-3 victory over Tennessee. Number 13, Wisconsin handled number 11, Michigan, 35-14. Number 23, Cal, a 28-20 victory over Ole Miss. Major League Baseball, the Padres have fired manager Andy Green. General manager A.J. Preller making the announcement today. Green, four sub-500 seasons at the helm in San Diego. On your scoreboard currently, the Yankees lead the Blue Jays 7-2, bottom of the eighth inning in the Bronx. Cardinals on top of the Cubs, 5-3, top of the fourth inning. Coming into today, Chicago trailed St. Louis by five games in the Central. They also trailed Milwaukee by two for the second wild card in the NL. Get all of your scores on the NBC Sports Scores app. I'm Scott Seidenberg with NBC Sports Radio. There's something popping up in Redlands, and the word is 
Moo La La, Moo La La Boutique. Get ready. It's a twice yearly pop-up shop that helps over 650 local families sell their children's outgrown items, all on consignment. Prices range from 50 to 90% off retail costs. Clothing, shoes, baby equipment, such as strollers, swings, toys, books, maternity wear, furniture, basically anything pertaining to kids, infants, and children. Moo La La Boutique in the Tri-City Center. Most items are gently used, but go through a quality check. Moo La La is open with free admission starting Thursday, September 19th, all the way through Saturday, September 21st. Saturday will be a discount day where most remaining items at Moolala will be an additional 50% off the ticketed price. www.moolalaboutique.com The Moolala Boutique is located in the southwest quadrant of the Tri-City Center where the 10 and the 210 meet in Redlands. And you'll say, Moolala. With 60 years of fascinating facts, this is The Man From Yesterday. And back in time, this time to 1987. Bruce Willis is set to marry actress Demi Moore in the fall, probably in November here in 1987. Bruce Willis's career has excelled ever since Moonlighting debuted on ABC TV just a few years ago. Bruce Willis is set to star in an action-adventure movie, Die Hard, and it should be out by next year. That's all right. Do we have plenty of Dramamine for my first guest tonight, Hal? My first guest tonight plays David Addison on the hit television series. Of course, the name of the show is Moonlighting. Please welcome Bruce Willis. And from this time in 1960, the surprise hit movie of the summer here in 1960 is Psycho with Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins. It's another Alfred Hitchcock winner. You have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. 12 cabins, 12 vacancies. If you want anything, just... Just tap on the wall. I'll, I'll be in the office. Thank you, Mr. Bates. Norman Bates. And from this time in 1972, Mac Davis, known primarily as a songwriter who's written for the likes of Elvis Presley, may have a huge hit on his own as Baby Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me is beginning to get played on major market radio stations. Baby Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me With more at manfromyesterday.com Here's a great place for something special. It's Porter's Prime Steakhouse in Ontario's Doubletree Hotel. The perfect place for dinner with friends or business clients. Enjoy their delicious U.S. prime beef or their wonderful seafood. You'll be happy with the different choices of tasty treats. Call 909-418-4808. Porter's Prime Steakhouse in the Doubletree Hotel at 222 North Vineyard in Ontario. That number again is 909-418-4808. Okay, let's talk about it. Shatter your notions. You like to enjoy life, right? Maybe you imbibe a little. Come on, you know, uh, weed. 70% of Californians agree that cannabis should be safe, legal, and easy. Now it's available at Shatter Dispensary in San Bernardino. Shatter has a full line of cannabis products, including cannabis cartridges, concentrates, edibles, and CBD massage bombs. Top-of-the-line products, services, and brands in a safe, classy environment, all tested in state-licensed laboratories. Shatter is at 350 West 5th Street in downtown San Bernardino. Open daily from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. From affordable to top shelf, Shatter can help you find the perfect product for your cannabis needs. Google Shatter Dispensary and Lounge in San Bernardino, and you've got it. That's Shatter, S-H-A-T-T-E-R. Must be 21 years of age or older. Shatter, license C10-0000542.
You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Folks, hello, welcome back once again. Yes, indeed, it is time for DM Radio, the longest-running show in the world on data. We're rocking and rolling, folks, in year 12 of DM Radio. We launched way back in 2008 in February, as a matter of fact. We launched this show. We've been talking to experts ever since all about what's going on in the world of data. Obviously, big data is the hot topic these days. Who doesn't know what big data is. It's everywhere. It's changing how business gets done. It's changing attitudes. It's changing minds. But we have to get some control over all of this madness. We have to have some kind of, well, let's call it governance. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about actual governance, hardening control of data lakes. Uh, So for our general audience out there, a data lake is kind of like the new version of a database, but it's much more vast and much more unwieldy, I suppose. It's not just a traditional structured database like rows and tables, which is how an Excel spreadsheet looks, for example, or even an access database. It's much more open to data types. You can dump any kind of data into a data lake, and you can persist it and then do what you want with it somewhere down the line. Well, we've had lots of different conversations about how to use data lake technology, but one of the real tricky issues that we wind up running into is this whole concern around governance. How do you actually control who gets access to the data, who can put data where, how can you manage that over time? It's kind of a big deal because, first of all, you don't want the wrong people touching this data, and second of all, you want to make sure the right people have access to that data. So governance has been a bit of an elusive concept for a while now. It's finally coming around to the point where we can reasonably manage information assets and have some significant control over who has access and how, but uh, it's still a mixed bag. And the bottom line is that unless you have a control plane through which all access goes, ingress and egress, you really are going to have a bit of a challenge in terms of actual data governance. But we're here from several experts today. We're very pleased to have June Ann Lanigan of Western Digital on the line. We have Tomer Shiran of Dremio and Amandeep Karana of Okira. We're going to talk about how you can use the best practices to get better control of your data. And so first I'm going to bring in Junan, who is the global head of enterprise data management at Western Digital. Junan, that's a pretty impressive job you've got there, a lot of responsibility. Tell us a bit about what you do over there and what your thoughts are around how to achieve actual data governance. Sure. Thank you, and thanks for inviting me to attend today. So basically, I lead data management for a data infrastructure company. So this is definitely uh, my sweet spot and a dream job. Uh, Data management at Western Digital encompasses um, data architecture, data governance, um, enterprise data performance management, which is our forecasting, planning, BI, data warehousing environment, and then also our big data and fast data platforms. So um, within Western Digital, actually, we have been three companies that have merged together. So that's Legacy, HDST, Western Digital, and Sandus. So we've been merging these three companies together over the last couple of 
imagine that's a huge task and challenge for data management because three companies define their data very differently and manage their data differently, very differently as well. So I think a key underpinning is to have a data strategy. And a core component of our data strategy is to foster a culture where everyone takes responsibility and accountability for the quality of our data, whether you are a creator of that data, a producer of that data, you manage that data, or you consume that data. So that's kind of a core underpinning of our strategy across all those platforms um, that I just shared with you. Yeah, that's, this is good stuff. Your phone line is having a bit of an issue. You're kind of clipping in and out, if you don't mind. Go. go ahead and just hang up, up and dial back in. Oh, there you go. I, think you I picked up my line. Is, is that better? Uh, you're still, it's one of those DOIP issues, I think. If you want, probably the best thing is just hang up, dial back in, and we'll bring you back in. And in the meantime, let me go ahead and bring Homer Shiran in from Dremio. Tell us a bit about yourself and what Dremio does. And, of course, you focus on Apache Arrow, right? So tell us a bit about that, Tomer, and your thoughts on uh, actual data governance. Sure, yeah. Thanks for, for having me on the show here. So uh, a few words about Dremio. We're uh, the company that builds the, the Data Lake engine, and so that's all about delivering lightning-fast queries and a self-service semantic layer and directly against Data Lake storage, and so systems like S3 and ADLS in the cloud. Um, and really the goal is that you don't have to kind of move data and copy it around and copy it into data warehouses and then go copy it into cubes and aggregation tables and BI extracts and all those things that you have to do in order to get performance. Um, and the idea there is that by making it so that users can leverage that data lake directly, whether they're technical users or non-technical users, and they can query it at the speed that they need um, without having to uh, need all these data copies and that provides an opportunity for data architects to um, to have control over who can see what data and, and also for consumers to achieve self-service. Um, and that, I think, uh, in many ways is the key to data governance. Um, because I believe that if you do not have self-service, the, the consumers of data, uh, you know, analysts and data scientists, they will find a way to get that data and they will create copies and they will download it onto their laptops. Um, and ultimately, the organization loses control and has no visibility on who's accessing what data or, or have the ability to control, you know, who can see sensitive PII data, who can access the, the data that they're not supposed to see. Yeah, well, it's, so one of the issues, of course, is that over the years, you can either control access at the database level or you can control access at the application layer, basically, both of which can be effective but are a bit difficult, and what you really want is some sort of layer of abstraction between those without causing some kind of performance hit, right? So how are you able to do that without causing performance issues? Right. That's kind of the fundamental premise of Dremio as a, as a data lake engine. It's all about, uh, on one hand, providing an abstraction layer, which we call a, a self-service semantic layer, that gives users that kind of abstraction um, where they can they can interact with whatever data they have permission to access, um, and IT can you know take away some of the columns or mask some of the columns uh, and things like that. Um, but at the same time, none of those approaches historic uh, none of those approaches historically have worked because of the reason you're saying right because you know if there's no performance then nobody's going to use that system and people will find ways around it. Um, so the way we've uh, um, we've uh, the, the approach we've taken to solve the performance challenge, which is really the, the fundamental problem here, um, uh, is a number of different technologies that we've created. One of them, uh, 
being Apache Arrow, um, and the other one being uh, this technology called Data Reflections. Um, and so Data Reflections, that's really a, a technology um, that's similar to kind of database indexes or um, you know Google's indexes. When when you go online and you search the web, you know Google's not crawling all the all the web pages out there, right? They're maintaining various data structures that are designed uh, to make the the queries go extremely fast, right? And uh, through this technology called data reflections, um, we're able to maintain different aggregations and different sorts and, and partitioning schemas of the data, and, and automatically take advantage of those when users are interacting with the abstraction layer. So you can uh, kind of enjoy that flexibility to do anything with the data, but at the same time have a system which is much more efficient than a human being um, understand, well, how do I take advantage of different kind of shapes and data structures um, to make these queries go fast without exposing the users to the, the physical data itself. That's interesting. So it's kind of a marshalling area of the logic that's being used to, to run queries. Is that about right? Um, yeah, it, it's it's the and, and it's based on that understanding that uh, that realization that users will never be uh, able to uh, you know kind of reason about what's the best physical representation of data. They they um, they can think about things in kind of business terms, right? In business logic, I want to extract a zip code from an address, or I want to um, you know extract an area code from a from a phone number or create this new data set and mask the last uh, everything but the last four digits of a social security number users can think about things that way um, but as soon as you uh, force them to also worry about performance that's where they have to create a hundred different copies of that data you know aggregated by different things and aggregated at different levels and um, stored in different types of systems that have different performance characteristics and once you have all those copies of data and different permutations of the data, of course you, you just entirely lose control over any kind of security and governance. And so we've separated those things into kind of two different worlds. The logical layer, which is where we believe users want to and, and should be able to operate, and then kind of the physical layer, which really a, a kind of an optimizer uh, technology that, of the kind that we've built uh, can be much more effective at, um, at optimizing kind of the actual physical execution and physical data structures. Hmm. And tell our audience a bit, too, about Apache Arrow. This is a very interesting open source project that was designed to, as I recall, leverage some in-memory capabilities and enable truly federated queries, right? In other words, typically when you query a database, you're sending a SQL statement to that specific database, that one instance. But for years, we've talked about having this vision of federated queries where you can query not just one database, but pull similar information from one, two, three, or even four different databases or data sources. Can you kind of explain at a high level how Apache Arrow addresses that and what it does? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, what we've done at Dremio is we've, we've created a technology that allows users to query any data source at any time. And then kind of that performance layer I was talking about is responsible for making that go fast. Um, but the, the key to this engine is this open source project called Apache Arrow, which is a, a columnar in-memory representation of data. That's kind of how it started. So we, we kind of took this thing that we had actually developed internally for our own engine, open sourced it, um, and then worked with a lot of different uh, communities out there, and especially with the Python and the R, kind of the data science communities, um, to create this, this project. And, um, and now it's embedded, you know, fast forward three years later, it's the it's how data frames in Python and R are represented. Uh, it's being used by 
uh, hundreds of different projects now, and, and over 300 developers outside of Dremio contributed to the project, including Intel, NVIDIA, Google, and, and others. And what's happening now is um, we've extended this technology, which, which used to be really just kind of a, an in-memory representation, a columnar in-memory representation of data for analytics, um, and, and a set of libraries for that. We've extended that now to also be a system that allows different technologies to communicate with each other at extremely high performance. Uh, because the, 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 the ways in which systems today communicate prior to, to this new technology, you know, JDBC, for example, and ODBC were, were created back in the 90s. Uh, very, very inefficient, you know, really designed for a world where data moved through kind of a single narrow pipe. Um, and that no longer works in, in today's world of big data. So with this new technology, which we call AeroFlight, we're actually allowing systems that speak Arrow, that utilize Arrow internally, which now include hundreds of different projects, we're now allowing them to communicate in parallel with each other. And that means that for the first time ever, you have this ability to transfer data across the wire at speeds that are you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times faster than what we, we could have done even just a year ago. Yeah, so you're really talking about how a confluence of technologies has come together to once again change what's possible and change the method by which someone can access data and work with data, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, if you think about the, uh, the model that we've had over the last couple of decades, and which fundamentally hasn't changed until I think it's only now starting to, to really change, is that uh, you know, data was dumped into kind of this, these repositories, and then people had to build data lakes, and, and from there they would create these data marts, um, and then from these data marts, they'd build cubes and build BI extract and all these different copies of data. Uh, in, in many organizations, um, I've heard hundreds of copies of basically the same data. Um, that's been the model for, for many, many years now. Um, and it's had all sorts of challenges, not just the cost, of course, of the systems and the storage and kind of building those pipelines. Uh, but maybe more importantly, from a governance standpoint, uh, the problem was that you would ask the same question on two different systems and you'd get a different answer. And you'd spend the next week trying to figure out why did I get a different answer from what should have been really the same data. Um, and in regulated industries, companies would get fined by regulators when they would have two reports that show a different number for what is really supposed to be the same thing. Um, and so now I think with, this, uh, uh, with these new technologies such as Apache Arrow and what we're doing with Dremio, uh, specifically around kind of federated queries and data reflections and the ability to query a data lake directly um, with high performance without having to load into a data warehouse. Uh, I think all of that is coming together to um, create this new kind of possibility of querying the data where it lives, which really makes data governance so much easier, right? It's kind of like, let's bring the users to the data instead of bring the data to thousands of different users in different shapes and forms and systems. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's exactly right, because when you get copies of data, and you have lots of copies all over the place, well, that's when you can have all sorts of governance issues because now you're trying to control how access gets managed in, in multiple different environments. And what you really want to have is that federated environment. I guess I, I wonder why do you think that it's taken so long to enable that? Is it just because the technology wasn't there on the networking side, or what was the big holdup to prevent us from doing this years ago? I think what's enabling it now is the kind of scale-out architectures that we have now. Kind of the, uh, of course, big data, but also the uh, the availability of compute resources, and especially you're seeing that in the cloud, where um, uh, you have this uh, abundance of compute resources and also storage that's extremely cheap. Um, so if you think about 
things like S3 and ADLS on Azure, those are, those are like less than $20 a terabyte per month, right? And they're infinitely scalable. You don't have to manage them. And these types of technologies and this type of compute is what enables us to, to do it both from a compute standpoint and from a kind of a, in terms of caching technology to kind of make this actually possible, right? Because if you look at, say, data virtualization is another category of, of kind of products that are out there. You have companies that, that do that. Um, that, you know, those companies were primarily created 10 years ago and they kind of run on a single server and, um, and you have all these performance challenges and that, that's why that category really didn't take off. Um, but I think the, the data lake now, and especially the cloud data lake, um, is for the first time making it possible to um, uh, kind of have access to data and, and make data very accessible to, to users where you don't have to, they don't have to kind of work around IT anymore. They can actually work in IT. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and we're also watching the evolution of data lakes per se. One of the more clever articles I've come across was from my good buddy Tony Bear, who uh, said, is cloud storage now the de facto data lake? And frankly, I think he's right about that. You know, so our listeners have often heard us talk about that whole Hadoop movement, which was, of course, came out of Yahoo and was a way to index the web. And there was a lot of excitement about using HDFS, the, yeah. the um, highly distributed or Hadoop distributed file system, to manage large amounts of data. But then guess what happened on the way to the forum? Cloud storage got much more uh, affordable, and that really kind of changed the game. So we're going to pick this up after the break, folks. We're talking to several experts today about data lakes and data governance, trying to get a control or some handle on working with large amounts of data. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to DM Radio. In the know, I'm Rich Rosario. Generation Z believes bullying is the biggest issue of their time, according to new data. A survey of American youth ages 6 to 17, commissioned by the Boy Scouts of America, found that bullying ranked as a top concern for young people on a community, national, and global level. That's why the Boy Scouts of America has been actively working to equip kids with the tools they need to counteract bullying. All Scouts participate in anti-bullying training and learn to live by the Scout Law, a foundational element of Scouting with 12 guiding characteristics that include being helpful, trustworthy, and kind. And it's having real impact. A 2015 study by Tufts University found that children involved in Cub Scouts were significantly more kind and helpful than non-Scouts. Scouting provides the nation's foremost youth program of character development and values-based leadership training which helps young people to be prepared for life. To learn more about Scouting, visit scouting.org. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision. It should not be based solely upon advertising. This ad is sponsored by Case Legal Media. Attention, this is an important message for anyone that has been diagnosed with cancer after being exposed to Roundup or other weed killers. The Internal Agency for Research on Cancer warned that overexposure to Roundup and other weed killers may increase the risk of developing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Monsanto, the manufacturer of Roundup, may have known that Roundup and other weed killers were likely linked to organ damage and cancer. This information was hidden from the public as proprietary trade secrets since 1981, and Monsanto may have failed to warn of the potential risk of cancer. If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with cancer after being exposed to Roundup or other weed killers, you may be entitled to significant compensation. Call us now at 800-970-7531. Our network of attorneys are ready to fight for you. You'll pay nothing unless there's a recovery in your favor. Call now for a free consultation at 800-970-7531. You must protect your legal rights. Call 800-970-7531. Again, 800-970-7531. 
Did President Trump just spill the beans that we have some really, truly, gnarly and nasty weapons that nobody's supposed to know about? Maybe next on Dan's Live. Many of you take Texas Superfood daily and feel great. But some people tell us they just don't like the taste of green powder or they have a problem swallowing capsules. That's why we created our new line of great tasting liquid supplements. Go to TexasSuperfood.com slash liquid. From multivitamins to products for energy, sleep, joint care, and more, our liquid supplements offer the highest absorption rates available anywhere, up to 96%. Imagine waking up after a great night's sleep feeling rested. Get absorbable liquid nutrition from the name you trust, Texas Superfood. Visit TexasSuperfood.com slash liquid to get 20% off. Go to TexasSuperfood.com slash liquid now. In his 9-11 remembrance remarks, the president said that if any enemy again threaten this nation on our shores, as they did on 9-11, quote, we will go wherever they are and use power, the likes of which the United States has never used before. But was old boy just bloviating, or is there something extra to it? He went on, quote, I'm not even talking about nuclear weapons. They will never have seen anything like what will happen to them, end quote. Leaders find themselves in the time in which they live. We find ourselves with the leaders that we get in that time. I think it no coincidence. I, for one, would not be shocked if we do have some heavy-duty EMP weaponry, lasers of some consequential scale, or something altogether different. I think that the president, for better or worse, has a hard time keeping a secret. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we've got something huge and could do some damage bigly. When you learn that the Pentagon can't account for trillions of dollars in spending, at least I wonder where that money's going. Heaven knows what we're truly capable of, and I hope we never find out. This is Dan's Life. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Welcome back once again to DM Radio. We're talking all about data lakes today and hardening control of data lakes, otherwise known as governance. We've talked about data governance many, many times over the years, but, you know, it's actually pretty difficult to achieve if you get right down to brass tacks. But we heard some pretty interesting ideas there from our friend Tomer Sharon from Dremio. We also have Amandeep Kurana from Okira on the line. So, Amandeep, tell us a bit about yourself. Okira, and what you folks are doing in the space of data governance for data lakes. Yeah, um, thank you, Eric. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Uh, it's great to be back. Um, my name is Amandeep. I'm uh, one of the founders of uh, Okira. Uh, we are a three-and-a-half-year-old uh, data management company, uh, currently focused on data security, privacy, and governance uh, for data lakes. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Uh, the, it, when I say security, privacy, and governance for data lakes, there's, there's a bunch uh, bunch in there, so let, let me unpack that a little bit for you. Uh, when it comes to data lakes and the current version that we are seeing, which is mostly in the cloud, uh, there is a lot of heterogeneity that we're seeing. Right? So there's, there's a variety of um, different kinds of sort of data formats, data sources that are being put in. Um, and most importantly, there's also a heterogeneity of the kind of compute uh, tools people are using. Right? So people are uh, people are doing simple BI, uh, using SQL engines and BI tools on top of that to uh, more complicated, let's say, machine learning um, workloads um, ranging from could be simple, you know, Spark queries to more sophisticated uh, engines like TensorFlow and whatnot. So the the cloud-based data lake architecture is enabling a lot of heterogeneity. Uh, and in that heterogeneity, what uh, what we find is that the lines of businesses or the, the data analysts and the, uh, the data scientists sitting in the product teams or you know the marketing team and essentially that are part of the business um, are making their choices in terms of which engine is most uh, appropriate for the workload that they want to run, for the job that they want to uh, accomplish, right? Um, for the analytics that they want to do, and uh, uh, there is there's not necessarily a convergence in terms of the kinds of compute tools people are looking to use. Uh, but they all want to use it on uh, the same data that is being captured in the data lake, right? The, the same transaction information, the same customer information, the same third-party data sets that are being procured. Um, these different kinds of uh, data analysts and data scientists want to work with the same uh, or largely uh, similar kinds of data sets that have been put in the data lake. However, uh, in a self-service manner, uh, Thomas are talked about self-service being uh, a big, uh, I would say, big big wave and a big trend right now. In a self-service manner, they can choose the right tool for the job at hand uh, and just go and work with the data. Now, there's a set of challenges that come up when you look at that. So there's a separation of concerns in terms of who's managing and running uh, the data lake uh, infrastructure, which is your storage and uh, sort of putting your data in there, your ingestion frameworks, and so forth. Uh, and then uh, there is a completely different set of users that are accessing data, that are working with data uh, through these different kinds of tools that we talked about. Typically, what ends up happening um, is that people will create copies. Right? So there would be a copy for the marketing team. There would be a copy for the product team. There would be a copy for you know, the inventory team and, and so on and so forth. Um, and there could be multiple reasons for creating these copies. Right? Security or privacy or data usage rights uh, is one reason. It's one set of reasons. Uh, how that manifests under the hood is uh, I, as an analyst in the product team, should not see uh, the, the, the sensitive information about the customer 
But if somebody is doing, let's say, uh, analytics around fraud, they do need to see who the individual is, right? I'm, I'm just making that up. But that kind of difference in access levels for the different uh, users, depending on what they're trying to do, uh, kind of forces you to create copies for these different use cases. Um, and that makes governance uh, very, very difficult. Right? Because at that point, now you, you lose track of where these different copies are, how do you keep them fresh, um, what are people doing with them, uh, are there any, any other subsequent copies being created. Um, and also it's very hairy to manage this at scale. Like so imagine 1,000 analysts and data scientists, um, it's actually not a very big number, but imagine a 1,000 analysts going at it, and now you have uh, 50 copies for different use cases, you have to do that for every other uh, data set uh, that might have sensitive information. This gets hairy uh, very, very quickly and very difficult to manage. And so governance becomes a pretty big uh, challenge. And it, 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 at Okera, that is the set of problems that, that, uh, that we help our customers solve for. Um, so in heterogeneous compute environments where there's different kinds of workloads, um, we become the central, um, I would say, access management uh, layer or access management engine that gives you uh, appropriate views into the data, appropriate, um, uh, you know, without creating these copies, you can get access to the data as appropriate for your consumption. That's what we help our customers do. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's quite a mouthful, quite frankly. That's a lot to, <laughs> to tackle. And I'm curious to understand, you know, when I like on your website, you've got these different metrics or these different vectors of agility versus governance, right? And I think that's always been one yeah. of the big hurdles for governance right. is that it's viewed as a hindrance to agility, right? And you don't want to stop people. Right. And I often talk about the, what I call the black market effect. If you create rules that are too stringent, guess what? People just go around the rules, and then you've lost all governance, right? So the, there really right. is a balance that's required. How do you go about striking that balance? What are your thoughts on that? And you bring up a very, very good point. I think Tomer also mentioned this a little while ago, where he, he talked about if you if you don't have self-service available for uh, for the users who who want that, who are used to that way of working, they'll find a way to get around it. Right? They'll 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 go to somebody and get a copy of the data. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, this is a customer that I was uh, talking to, and they they tell us that. Uh, so I asked him this question: How do you get access to um, that financial information for your analytics? And he says, "Well, I know a guy." Who knows a guy? So every time I want access to that information, I go call him. Uh, he walks me over to the other guy's uh, <laughs> cubicle, and they create a copy for it, a copy for me in my S3 bucket, and there I am. I have everything that I need. So I said, "What if, what if I, you know, a new person joined your team? Uh, how would they get access?" Uh, probably take six months to figure out who the right guy is. Right. So, but they'll eventually figure it out because uh, the self service is not available to them. Uh, this is just what happens. People people go around it. Um, so yes, uh, the, the the tension between agility and governance um, exists, and most of us view governance as as something that's going to come in the way. Uh, we do not view governance as something that's going to enable us uh, to do our jobs better. Um, our view uh, of of the general space of you know governance is that governance done right in a scalable manner, actually enables agility. It enables people to do what they want to do, what they need to do, by providing them the guardrails within which uh, they can operate with complete freedom. Um, if you don't give people the guardrails, they tend to 
you know, try to figure out their own guardrails, and they may uh, they may uh, you know overstep their bounds, or they may not. You don't know. Um, but you'll never find out. And if you find out at that point, it's probably too late. Um, so our, our view, <laughs> our view of it is, provide the right guardrails in a scalable manner that can actually serve the business, and let people free within those guardrails. Um, now, how does that work uh, in the world of data lakes and analytics? Um, what I call there is the concept of distributed stewardship. Again, stewardship and distributed stewardship is not necessarily a new uh, new thing. Um, but it's very applicable to the world of uh, cloud-based data lakes, where uh, where governance also needs to be made self-service as much as possible. So if I, as an application owner, am producing a bunch of data uh, through the application, which may have sensitive information, may not have sensitive information, uh, but I'm the only person, or my team is the only team that really knows what data is being produced in those, you know, in those logs or or whatever the output is for the application. So I know that there is. Uh, let's say, the user ID is going into the second field. Um, my legal team uh, says that user IDs need to be treated a certain way. Right? There are certain usage rights and there are certain, uh, certain ways of working with user ID based on whatever the, maybe it's a regulatory requirement or a um, of hygiene. Uh, the legal or the governance teams kind of know that. But they don't really know the data that is being produced, right? They don't know what this application is producing. I don't necessarily know all the rules around every kind of data that is being uh, being produced. So now it becomes a problem where I know half of it, uh, and my privacy counterparts, or the legal counterparts, or governance counterparts, they know the other half. Um, data stewardship or governance needs both these uh, perspectives. Right? It needs a perspective of how do you treat the user ID, and the perspective of the second field is the user ID. Um, and being able to split up these uh, split up these tasks and distribute them to the to the appropriate people uh, enable uh, are actually the first piece of distributed stewardship. Now, similarly, there would be a second team that is building an application that knows where the user ID is in their data set. I would not know that. Neither would the legal team. So now you have to distribute the work for that data set to them. And this is how you can uh, potentially scale governance and distribute the stewardship in the organization um, and create the guardrails uh, within which people can uh, operate freely. Yeah, and I, I love that concept of guardrails, and I'd like to go ahead and bring June Ann Lanigan back into the conversation here. June Ann, you've got a, a you know, very serious responsibility over at Western Digital, and you have done similar things for several other big companies, including Oracle. You were over at Sun when they got acquired by Oracle and ran their BI program there, which is you know, an impressive job, I have to say. Tell us a bit about your thoughts for how you strike that balance of governance versus agility and how you help your users feel enabled to do what they want to do, empowered to do the analysis that they want to do without bending rules too much or running into data governance problems. Tell us your thoughts about that, June Ann. Sure. Well, underpinning of our entire data strategy is the – um, really driving a culture where everybody is accountable and responsible for the quality of the data. So, you know, I run data management and a data infrastructure company, so the push is really – it's easy for me in some ways, right, because we are accountable to data, uh, not only our, our own, but how we are, are working with our customers and their data as well. 
But anyways, by instilling that culture of accountability, then we have to step back and say, no matter what solution we bring forward, we, we all have a role and responsibility in this. Let me talk a little bit about our big data platform and our journey there. Um, if you think about a hard disk drive, and you know it's a commodity of some sort, but if you think about a hard disk drive, there's over 6,000 tests per drive across component and drive engineering and manufacturing processes on every single drive. So the biggest wow. challenge that we had is for manufacturing analytics is that how do we how do we see the data, right? Because those processes are run across 17 different manufacturing sites. And so literally you have silos of data of every part of the process across all these different um, factories or, or, or engineering teams. What we've, So the number one directive for us was to literally, it was called eliminate the data search parties. <laughs> that was the program. <laughs> that was the underpinning of our big data platform was to how do we get all of this data into one common repository? We chose to go to the cloud because that was easiest. Um, so how do we get all this data into the cloud to where then everyone would have access to it. And I think the huge learning there is just because you have a data lake doesn't mean that you have a consumable um, repository of information. What we learned very quickly was not only did we have silos of data, we had silos of data knowledge. So, you know, someone working on components doesn't know what they don't know upstream or downstream of them. And as somebody was saying earlier, unless you had a buddy who, you know, gave you a file of data and you could merge it with your data. So a lot of the analytics were run on very small data sets, very specific to a particular process. So by bringing all the data into the cloud, we were able to one, build pipelines to bring that data, but number two, really foster a community of people who had to work together to explain the data to each other. So if you are, if you're building firmware, you're a test engineer, you're in manufacturing operations, your knowledge of that data and your use of that data is very different. And so, but however, the data, <laughs> the data really is the same. It's just your perspective and your interactions with it is different. So what we did was we built te uh, teams that then helped us build what we call end-to-end -end views within this data lake. So how do we structure the data in a way that if you're in early, if you're in early manufacturing, your access to the data is specific and available, that the parameters are available. But if you're in manufacturing, that data is available to you as well. So, so, that, so that was a big key was to get that data into the data lake. And, and we have about nine uh, petabytes of data, and we ingest about six terabytes of data a day. So, so you can see that the volume is high, <laughs> but to keep it consistently available to the users so that they do – so that they do have that self-service capability. And, right. you know, we've had to teach a lot of technologies of how to use that data, but, but that really has enabled self-service on large data sets to do advanced analytics. That is really, really cool stuff. I love the eliminate the data search parties. That's good stuff. Well, folks, don't <laughs> touch that dial. We're going to be right back after this break. You're listening to DM Radio. In the know, I'm Rich Rosario. Generation Z believes bullying is the...
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply the biggest issue of their time, according to new data. A survey of American youth ages 6 to 17, commissioned by the Boy Scouts of America, found that bullying ranked as a top concern for young people on a community, national, and global level. That's why the Boy Scouts of America has been actively working to equip kids with the tools they need to counteract bullying. All Scouts participate in anti-bullying training and learn to live by the Scout Law, a foundational element of Scouting with 12 guiding characteristics that include being helpful, trustworthy, and kind. And it's having real impact. A 2015 study by Tufts University found that children involved in Cub Scouts were significantly more kind and helpful than non-Scouts. Scouting provides the nation's foremost youth program of character development and values-based leadership training which helps young people to be prepared for life. To learn more about Scouting, visit scouting.org. Your vision is a precious treasure, and research shows the typical American diet falls woefully short in essential eye nutrition. Fill in the gap with Quantum Nutrition Lab's Eye Support, rich in zeaxanthin and lutein, plant DHA, a vegetarian omega-3 fatty acid, and glutathione for antioxidant support. Buy two bottles, get the third one free. Call 888-588-7578. That's 888-588-7578. Or visit us online at qnlabs.com. That's qnlabs.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Marshall, PhD, host of Healthline. Tune in to get your questions answered and hear the latest breakthrough information for you and your family. Our product line, Quantum Nutrition Labs, delivers what others only promise, nutrition that really works. This is Dr. Mitch Gibson from The Mitch and Kathy Show. Have you ever wondered why you can't talk to people about certain things? Every day we go through life holding back on what we really want to talk about. Yes, there's a lot of talk shows that give you a chance to air your opinions about politics, race relations, and a host of other topics that you're supposed to be thinking about. Well, what about those other areas that you hold back on, such as that ghost you saw when you were a kid, those times when you travel outside your body, that UFO you can't talk about, that you saw in your backyard? Those strange people that appear and disappear around you, and you know you're not crazy. On the Mitch and Kathy Show, we give you a chance to talk about stuff like that, things that you hide from the world. In this way, we consider ourselves a guilty pleasure. Mitch.com for more information, or go to GabRadioNetwork.com.
Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, welcome back to DM Radio, talking all about data lakes. It's not the kind you go skiing on or water skiing. No, this is the lake for your data. It's the next generation, really, of where to persist your data. We've talked a lot on different shows about the data lake concept. It's actually very good for a landing zone for data, and then from there you can start doing some interesting things with it, maybe put it into a data warehouse, some other construct to facilitate access to it. But governance in general is the topic of our show today, and I'm going to bring Junan Lanigan back in from Western Digital. Junan, I really love this concept you've talked about with respect to a culture of accountability, because at the end of the day, you can't force people to do much. You have to encourage people to do the right thing. It's always a balance of, of carrots and sticks basically out there in the world of trying to govern really anything, any kind of behavior at all. And I love that you guys have this focus at Western Digital on fostering a culture of accountability. Can you tell us a bit about how you got there and what are some of the, the tricks of the trade? Sure. So Western Digital has about 70,000 employees, so that's a lot of people. <laughs> and yet my data governance team has five. And so the challenge is, how, you know, how do you scale a company of this size? And the answer was not to build out a huge data governance team who would take accountability and responsibility for the data specifically themselves. So really our mantra is how to teach people to fish. It is very difficult to ask somebody to, to be accountable for data without telling them and showing them how to do that, right? So what is the role of a data steward? What am I responsible for? What insights into the data do I have to know how to measure it and, and manage it? Uh, what is the, who are the network of people I need to be engaged with who um, have an impact on the data that I'm responsible for? So it's really it's, it's teaching them how to fish, and it's providing a framework for them that's, that's repeatable across multiple data stewards such that they have become a community. We have about 129 active data stewards across 10 countries, um, and so... You know, they're managing the majority of our data, but, but they're just the, the data stewards. Behind them are functional stewards, domain stewards, IT stewards. So they create their own network um, of governance, if you will, to be responsible for their data. I'll add one. I'll add one more thing, and, and this is just kind of where we've come to um, within this this idea and this notion of having a culture of accountability. Last year, we gave our inaugural data quality award to our uh, media operations team in Penang, Malaysia, and and the reason they won that award is because they have now built data quality into all of their um, engineering tests and manufacturing processes. So they're monitoring data quality at every single step of their processes. They manufacture the media that goes into a drive. And what's funny is once we gave this award, so now it's created this competition. I have 16 other factories <laughs> who are wanting to know, well, how do we win this award? Can you come work with us? Can you help us? So it, it really is creating a culture, and it's taking on as an accountability across the company. That's fantastic. And if you get right down to it, data quality is so important. It has always been important. It's always going to be important. And if you're talking about governance, 
There are issues, of course, like security and prudence and so forth, but really quality is kind of front and center in that whole conversation, right, Junia? That's right. That's absolutely right. And, and you know, I think it really takes working with, with the business or it may be the IT teams, but primarily the business to how do you define your metrics? How will you know that you have met your quality standards? What are those measurable rules that we need to automate and put in place? Right now we have about 340 you know, measured business rules um, that we're monitoring, but we're monitoring about 7.5 million records a day against rules. So, you know, it's not just to give them the responsibility for it, but it's to give them the tools and the automation and the visibility into their data so that they can get predictive and, and know when to, when they need to pay attention. So how do you manage by exception? Um, because you have competence. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I'll bring uh, Tomer Sharon back in from Dremio. You know, this whole concept about accountability really does need to be uh, it fostered across the organization. It has to be part of the corporate culture and has to be something beyond just putting something in a manual somewhere. How do you evangelize that? How do you encourage people to adopt this culture of accountability, Tomer? I think we take a... Uh, maybe a somewhat different approach, uh, being being a software company that uh, is working with a lot of a lot of the, you know, the largest financial services companies in the in the country or in the world, and you know tech companies that are very large, Microsoft, um, you know Nutanix, etc. Um, you know, I think the the world has evolved to a place where you know the data has grown exponentially in the last uh, decade or so, um, and so it really becomes. Uh, challenging to do things manually through humans all the time, right? If, if maybe, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, um, you know, we could put a lot of human processes in place and, and, you know, IT would do, you know, ETL and data engineering and all these different kinds of activities to ensure data quality and so forth. Um, I think we're getting to a place now where um, in, in most companies, the, the employees are, are tech savvy, right? They're they're no longer you know waiting for a report on their desk every morning when they come to the office. They they want access to the, to the data themselves. Um, and in order for that to work, in, in you know in 2019, um, we have to come up as an industry with technologies um, that will solve this. And so I recently had dinner with uh, uh, the the data leaders for a lot of the, the the biggest tech companies in the Bay Area. And one of the comments from from one of them was that. You know, if we just keep doing things manually and kind of the human the human way, we will really have to have a data engineer for every analyst in the company. And of course, that's not feasible. Even in Silicon Valley, that's not feasible. So certainly in the rest of the country. Um, and so, by creating technology that allows users to consume data um, in a centralized platform where IT can see who's doing what with the data. And, for example, what we do in our product is we actually learn from the behavior of users and kind of transfer that knowledge to other users implicitly without them having to read wikis and update wikis. I think that's really the key. It's, it's, it's about automating the things that in the past were, were manual because otherwise, you know, there's no way to keep up with the exponential growth of, of data and the demand from users. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And uh, Amandeep Kodana from Okira, I'll bring you back in. Culture is such an interesting concept. It's very difficult to to determine uh, in, with great clarity. So it's, it, there's kind of a lot of gray area around it. But just as a general rule, you want people in your organization to be responsible. You want that to be really driving their behavior day to day. What what do you do at Okira or with your clients to encourage that kind of attitude and that kind of philosophy? 
It's a good question. Um, you, you, you're right that uh, culture is something, it's, it's hard to measure. Uh, it's more of a sort of an underlying context with which you operate. Um, at uh, at Okeda, you know, we're a small company, we're a small team, and uh, you know, communication and uh, communication is pretty tight knit. The culture is pretty tight knit. All of us, um, you know, feel uh, feel that kind of responsibility towards the company. Um, I think that's that's probably not uh, uh, that's probably not representative of larger organizations. Right? Larger organizations tend to have a slightly different uh, way of operating. Um, what we see uh, when it comes to this culture of responsibility or accountability around data governance, uh, it really falls into a couple of different uh, areas of, uh, of of problems, I'd say. One is, uh, do, do we have the right kind of processes? The right kind of processes in terms of if I want, we've been talking about data access and, and data governance, so if I want access to, uh, access to data, what's the process that I need to follow uh, that would enable me to get that access uh, in a in a in a manner such that there's minimum friction in there. So there's, there's a process piece to it, uh, and there's the technology piece to it. Right? If, if the technology doesn't really enable uh, quick, fast access, um, I'm probably going to try to not use it. Right? I'll, I'll try to step around it. Uh, so there's a technology piece uh, around it, and so both these things have to enable uh, the the cultural direction that the leadership is trying to set. Um, otherwise, it just becomes a bunch of good words, um, and uh, that's what that's what we work with our, our clients on. Is right, so if you want to distribute, uh, if you want to distribute a stewardship model, if you want to scale governance, and you want to create the culture of accountability, um, there is the cultural work that you have to do. There is the people uh, training that you have to do. There's the alignment piece that you have to do, and that you have to do regardless. Uh, we can help you with building the right process uh, and the right kind of technology infrastructure. Uh, so that uh, you can enable uh, that movement within the organization. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Enablement, that's basically what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to empower people. We're trying to enable people. You know, I love this term, guardrails. We've talked a lot about, a, a lot about that on the show over the years because it gives you that, um, that metaphor to work with, that there is a range within your behavior is going to be okay. If you get outside of those guardrails, now you're causing some, some issues. And I think that uh, we didn't talk too much on the show today about CCPA or GDPR. We may do that on the bonus podcast segment. But uh, those are very real policy regulations that are coming down and are going to affect business. I mean, we've already seen a couple of big penalties through GDPR. I think CCPA is coming down the pike pretty quickly. And the bottom line is that companies have to be significantly more responsible about how they work with their data. So data governance has gone from it used to be a sort of nice to have something aspirational that we look forward to, but uh, it's going to be a must have in the future. So, folks, if you're listening to this now, driving down the highway, wherever you are, and you use data in your organization, just remember that governance is something that you need to address. You need to have a policy for dealing with that, and then you need to be able to explain to an auditor or a regulator or someone else how you deal with exceptions. What do you do when someone crosses the line? So data governance is important stuff, folks. Look up our friends online. We heard from Okira, Dremio, and, of course, Western Digital. And uh, with that, we're going to bid you farewell, folks. You have been listening to DM Radio. Why are you listening to this radio?
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit